This week, I had the great pleasure of sitting down with Andrea Bittner to dive into a vital topic on supporting English language learners in our schools. Andrea is a distinguished educator and author of the book, Take Me Home, and she is going to be providing some extremely valuable insights into the world of our ELL learners and how to create an inclusive and empowering learning environment for them. In this conversation, we're going to uncover some new strategies, share experiences within the classroom, and learn about some really important resources for our English language learners. Before we begin this conversation, I just want to let you know that I'm revitalizing my Aspire to Lead newsletter. So if you're looking for inspiration, resources, and leadership lessons, definitely head over to joshnamber.com and sign up today. I'm going to try and do a better job of making sure those go out weekly, and I hope you find great value through the words of those upcoming newsletters. All right. I can't wait to have this conversation with Andrea, so let's jump into the conversation. Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire to Lead, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua underscore Stamper. Aspire leaders, I am so excited for this conversation. This is someone that has been on my list for quite some time because I've been connected with her and I actually feel bad. I'm going to state this on the record. I feel terrible that Andrea has not been on the podcast yet. I've been connected with her on the C-Spirit team and she's doing phenomenal work and I'm so excited for this conversation. Andrea, thank you so much for being on Aspire to Lead. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes. And so, Before we dive into your book and all of the wonderful things that you're doing across this country, I would love for you to share with my audience in regards to your educational and leadership background. Yes. So I've been involved in education for 24 years, and I'm currently an English language learner, teacher, leader, mentor, etc. But I didn't start out that way. I started out as a high school English teacher hired over the weekend out of Westchester University to work with the most at-risk kids in the building. And coming off of a student teaching experience where I had all of the high-track honors, very typical kids, it was such an eye-opening experience for me to be working with freshmen in a place where they hated school. And so my very first year in, in teaching and leadership was a whole lot of crying. Because I would come home at night and really struggle to understand, I'm a person that loves school. What can I do to get these kids to love school? Why don't they love school? And what I learned pretty quickly was that I was given a group of students who were freshmen in high school who didn't know how to read. And it bothered me enough to go back to school myself and become a Title I reading specialist. And so I began my leadership journey working with teachers and supporting the middle school level and the high school level and really equipping myself and learning tools to teach kids how to read. And so uh, once I did that, I started to get groups of English language learners in my group settings. And I got more curious and I said, well, how do I equip myself to work with those kids? And so I went back again while I was still teaching all this time and got my certifications in English language learners. Between the 24 years that I've worked, 17 of them have been as a support teacher and a support leader and a support mentor, always coaching, instructing, providing development, teaching kids. Um, in grades K to 12 at this point. I've worked with everyone. That's amazing. And so I want to kind of dive into this topic of English language learners, because I know a lot of folks, you know, uh, with rosters and over the years, there's sometimes transition with more students that had this need to, to learn English. And so I know there's a lot of common challenges that 
you face not only on the campus, but you support that, you know, like all across the country. So what are some of the most common challenges that you've seen and maybe a, a few tips and tricks that can help our leaders with the challenges of potentially working with students in English language learners? I agree. It's such an important topic because by 2025, one in four of our students across the country will be considered an English language learner. And some of the, you know, in the district I come from, we have over 400 active students in 31 different languages represented. Mm -hmm. So a lot of those challenges not only exist in districts near to me, but everywhere that I go, our challenges are really common. And one of the first most common challenges that I tend to hear is, well, how do I know what they know? Or, you know, does lack of intelligence equal lack of language or vice versa. And what I first say to teachers and and leaders is the first assumption that you should never make is that lack of language equals lack of intelligence, because that's just not the case. And so how do you start to assess these students? That's the first thing you have to do. And you have to find out, well, are they literate in their first language? Because if they're literate in their first language in reading and writing, that's a win-win for everybody. Because now, you know, you have middle and high school and elementary students coming in who already have a root. They just need to work on the transition of the language, the differences of the language, the new vocabulary of the language. But they already have something to grab onto, if that makes sense. But if you have a student who comes in with no literacy in their first language, and I have that too every single day in my classes, I've got both ends of the spectrum. Now I'm teaching middle and high school students A, Apple, A, how to read because they don't have those skills in their first language. And now they really struggle in the content area classrooms because they've got a double whammy. One of the first things I talk, you know, about as a common challenge is have you taken the time to assess the student's skills in their first language? Something else schools really seem to struggle with is communicating comfortably and confidently with parents. And so what I love to do is start to train them on, well, we're like really lucky that we live in this amazing technological world that we have now, because there is such a variety of tools out there now. Things like talking points, Propio One, language-based services, Transact. I mean, I could go on and on, but there are so many awesome resources now that um, I use all the time. I was so super excited. I sent out 52 messages today to parents that speak 31 different languages using talking points. It goes out in their preferred language. It comes back to me in English. I know they received our school communication and they're understanding and asking questions. And so something schools struggle with is, well, can't they just read it in English? Like, can I do that? No, you know, you have to give parents access to the communication that they prefer. And I think I'd like to add to that. Don't always assume that your parents prefer their first language. Some of our parents prefer English. Some of them prefer French, some of them prefer both. So it's really important to, as a school, ask and communicate with your parents. Hey, I was notified that your child is a bilingual student. Thank you so much for giving them that gift. I think that's amazing. I'm just wondering what language would you prefer school communication to come home in? And then you have a door that has opened so that you know what to do moving forward. So they are two major challenges that school first faced is, you know, how do we communicate with parents? How do we assess our students? And the third piece for a lot of teachers is how do I accommodate for these students? And how do I get comfortable with making accommodations? They'll be like, hey, Andrea, I never had those classes in when I trained to be a teacher, or I never had a newcomer. And that's when a lot of teachers will really get trepidatious. I don't know what to do, you know? And so that's when it's really important to connect with your EL teacher 
because that's the tool that you need to sharpen your own tools for your toolbox who can show you how to accommodate successfully for kids. And remember that these accommodations will fade over time. It's not this end all be all for years to come. It's let's watch this student grow together. Let's give them an arsenal of tools in the beginning if they're a level one and watch how they grow over time and these tools will fade. So I could go on and on, but these are just a few things they face right away. <laughs> I love it, Andrew. You're so passionate and you're talking about tools and I'm just like, yes, like give me more because it's so important. I, I know, you know, for many campuses, especially some of our our rural areas and smaller schools, you know, they, they may not have a person specific to that. And so it's, it's always tough to work with students in a class with differentiation and, and things like that. So I want to come back to tools. But before I do that, you touched on misconceptions and one being like, you know, if, if you're not assessing, you might assume that they don't have very much knowledge in the, in the subject matter. Are there any of the other common misconceptions that you kind of want to touch on today and kind of fix the mindset of, you know, ELL learners and what may be perceived that is not correct? Sometimes, you know, the perceptions that I've seen over time are that all English language learner experiences are the same. Meaning if they come from South America, oh, that means they had experience A. If they came from Africa, that means they had experience B. And it was really interesting because when I did the work that I did uh, in my book, which I know we'll talk about later and things like that, the conversations that I had with the young people who are now, you know, in their late 20s, early 30s that are reflecting back on school were from almost every continent. And they said to me, you know, I came from Kenya. People in school would ask me if I lived with lions. I didn't live with lions. I went to a private boarding school in a city where I already became bilingual before I got here. You know, and then I had other kids that said, you know, I came from South America. A lot of people continue to call me Mexican. I'm not Mexican. I'm from Ecuador, you know? And so it, there's a lot of like these assumptions that are happening for our kids based on how they look or based on their accent or based on what people might know about that country from a movie. And it's just so important to really what I like to say, get the movie and not the snapshot of a student's, not only their abilities, but their cultural experiences. You know, some of our kids come from down the street. You know, most ELs now are actually born here in the U.S. and they've been at home with mommy, you know, for the first five years of their life, if they did or didn't go to preschool. And then they come into school speaking their first language proudly, and they learn for the first time that their language doesn't work for them. Because the moment they step into kindergarten or pre-K, and they've been speaking Arabic their whole life, and now they look at you and they speak Arabic, and you're looking at them confused, that's really, you know, nerve-wracking for a little guy, because they're like, why don't they understand me? You know, but my point is, is that all their experiences, I had kids from everywhere, every country, adopted exchange students crossed the border, born here, waited for a visa, came first or later, different school experiences, boarding schools, private schools, public schools, never been to school, you know? So it's just start to contact those schools, start to call those other states where they just came from, call the school down the street. It really takes a village to put, you know, that movie together, but it's important to gather it to plan for your student. I was just thinking of a story of a bunch of students in an ELL classroom and one of the teachers was saying that, oh, you know, they were having a tough time. You know, they just didn't think that they were going to be able to learn English. And there were three different languages represented in that classroom. 
and they were all speaking Russian to to each other. <laughs> and one of the students in that class was Russian. They were like, well, they've learned Russian and they can communicate in that language. So obviously they're bright young individuals. So what are we doing wrong <laughs> that they're not learning English? It's one of those misconceptions. We just assume that for many different reasons that they may not possess the skills, but in turn, it's a lot of times the skills that we're presenting to them in the educational environment that's just not fulfilling their own needs. It really is. And, and I think it's important to remember that it takes one to three years yeah. to gather your, uh, your social language, five to 10 to gather your academic language. You know, they talk about these, they're called BICs and CALPs, yeah. right? And so that playground language versus that academic language. So people need time to acquire the language. And by the way, our students are the ones that are getting this education for free. You know, when their parents, you know, one other common misconception tends to be, why can't their parents just learn English? Or, you know, I guess they're just not making the time for it. Well, it costs money and it costs time and they have to work and they have family responsibilities just like all of us do. So they don't get immersed in a free education for many years to learn the language. And you'll see, you know, that difference in our students quickly becoming the leaders of their families in terms of supporting their parents. And usually that's why. I think that's such a great point. You had touched on tools to communicate to parents, which I absolutely love. I'm also thinking about, you know, some of the teachers that potentially um, are looking for additional resources in this area to potentially communicate with students, or maybe there's just something that you find is like a, a huge resource, you know, for your own self working with ELL students. So is there anything off the top of your head that you can think of, Andrea, that might be helpful to our audience? Yes. If you don't have the Say Hi, S-A-Y-H-I app on your phone, you probably should have put it on yesterday. <laughs> it is phenomenal. I would just use it today. We had three new newcomers come from the Ukraine. And they speak Ukrainian and they've got about eight different teachers every day, right? Because most of our ELs experiences with communication happen outside of the EL classroom because they only spend part of their day with their EL teacher. And so how can you equip kids to be successful outside of that classroom? The Say Hi app is awesome. It's a verbal tool. You can put it on your phone. You hold it up to you. You speak English. You push the button and it translates into the language of the student. And it speaks into that language for the student. So on the fly, in class, conversations, it's an awesome tool. Another one that we like to use is the Google Dictation Voice feature. In Google, if you're not aware of that, in class, it allows students to answer verbally in their first language. It records it, it writes it, and then you can translate it into English. So that's another tool that our teachers are really um, having some success with. Two others are the Pocket Talker. We have a second grade student using it that right now. And that is similar to say hi, but it's not an app. It's an actual device you give to your student and they can speak into their pocket talk. They can travel with it all day. Again, using it to communicate. And the last piece we could probably talk about for hours, but with the idea of chat GPT coming into our field, if you're looking for ways to differentiate your instruction for your EL, you can go on to ChatGPT. There's a great app in it called Diffit and among others. But what you say is, I'm creating a grade level lesson on the topic of, let's say, oceans for grade two. How can I differentiate this for a level one English language learner? And it will pump out sample lessons for you to use to reduce the language. 
So the say hi, the talking points I talked about earlier, the chat GPT and the Google dictation voice are just four tools of, of many that you could start to use to help you in the classroom with your students. You're such a wealth of knowledge. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. All right. So you had touched on something that I want to hone in on. You had talked about uh, several students just, you know, arriving from Ukraine and, you know, you're now having to, you know, work with those students. And this is something that happens all the time. We get new students and they may be coming from a different language and we're working with them wherever they may be uh, as far as their tier. So what are the questions teachers need to be asking when those ELL students arrive within your roster? The first question you want to ask is about name pronunciation. So you want to look at that name and say, do I understand how to pronounce this name and am I saying it correctly? Because there's nothing worse for any student than to hear your name all day long. The name that your parents gave you out of love. It's one of the first things you're ever given to listen to is your name. And all day long, you're hearing people say it in a way that you don't like. And so how do you do that? Well, the first thing I'll say to my guys is, hey, what does mommy call you at home? Or what does mom call you at home? And usually they'll say, you know, I have a student um, named Juxtel. And I said, what does mom call you at home? And he said, Juxtel. I said, am I saying it correctly? He said, no. I said, okay, let's practice again until I could get it comfortably. But then the second follow-up question is, is, is this what you want your teachers to call you at school? Because sometimes they'll say yes, and sometimes they'll say no. They'll give you another nickname. So be really cognizant of that pronunciation of the name. Um, some of the other questions to ask are, does my curriculum provide EL supports? And have I contacted my curriculum director to find out what they might be? Because like we talked about before, if that student is literate in their first language, there is no shame in your game in giving them that parallel text while they're acquiring the language, especially as a newcomer or level one or two, as they are gaining that content knowledge. Another question that you want to ask is, have you connected your EL student with everybody in the building? And I am a big believer that everybody in the building should know who your ELs are because they have to have the confidence and support to communicate all day long. So I drag my kids down to the cafeteria. I take them to the office. I, they know the maintenance team. They know the tech team. They've seen the reading specialist. They've seen the nurse to have their vision checked and their hearing checked. So all of these moving pieces that are happening need to be connected to them so that everybody is aware of what their needs are. So I think that's another important piece. You also want to consider, have you met with your EL teacher? And to talk about the accommodations and things that are needed for this student that will fade over time. You want to be thinking about, have you connected your EL kids building-wide, district-wide, county-wide? Many times, our EL kids don't know that there's another kid in the building that speaks the languages that they do. And it's really isolating for them. And so we do a great job in our district of making sure that I have connected all of my kids in grades one through eight. We have special events during the year. We've written grants where we do trips countywide four times a year. We run summer camps for our EL students in the county so they get to know each other. So we want to continue to expand their circle. I do a presentation called The 10 Things You Should Ask When an EL Joins Your Class, which has been well-received around the country. But those are just a couple of the sample questions from that. All right. You mentioned it earlier, and I want to touch on it. Your wonderful book, 
Take Me Home. So I want to know who was it written for and why did you write it? So Take Me Home is a book that is a true story of 11 of my former English language learners who give a firsthand account of what it's really like to become bilingual in America. And about 10 years ago, I worked with about 40 different students with about 25 different languages at the high school level. And in our classroom, we had this huge banner. And it said, education is opportunity. Education is freedom. What's your plan? Because they knew that their plan could not be, I'm going to return to my country right now because their parents had worked too hard to get them here. And their plan couldn't be, I'm not going to be successful here, whether they were born here or not, because they had this gift that we needed them to connect with to be ready to go out into the world as a young bilingual adult. And so we had this banner and we had this special day every year where our alumni would come back into the classroom and visit our seniors. And they would bring them this t-shirt and the t-shirt would be there to celebrate wherever our seniors were headed next. Military, entrepreneur, college, university, job training, YouTuber, like it didn't matter. Wherever they were headed, our alumni were there to congratulate them, celebrate with them, and allow them to sign that banner to say I'd completed this part of my life's plan. And so at that time, I had the luxury of working with seven children from the Lopez family, all boys and one girl. And I had worked with them over many years, and I had ha they all happened to be kids who had crossed the border from El Salvador. And I've been to El Salvador a few times myself to do some work with some schools down there. So I really got to know this family and all the kids and, and they went from Sergio to Jeffrey to Jeffrey from Las Vegas, like all the way down to Nancy. And about a year after they had all graduated from that program and Nancy had graduated as well, I was outside teaching one day and there were a bunch of helicopters and I thought, wow, like, I hope everything's all right. There's a lot of helicopters outside today. And about an hour after I was thinking that and continued to teach, my principal came down to get me to let me know that one of my students had been hit by the train. And unfortunately, that student was Nancy and she died that day. And she had put on a pair of headphones and we had watched the video later with mom and dad. And she had decided to walk along the inside of the gate and she never saw the acela or heard it. And it came and it clipped her from behind. And so one of the most parts of that day that was really challenging, in addition to Nancy's death and the trauma it caused these awesome kids and our community, et cetera, was that mom and dad were still learning English themselves. So when they got the call that something had happened, no one on the local force spoke Spanish. So they could kind of figure out that something was wrong and they could kind of figure out that something had happened to one of the kids, but they didn't know which one it was. And so they went up to the tracks and they stood there for hours calling everyone, trying to figure out who was laying before them. And so in those weeks that came, we worked with immigration. We worked with the local church community because dad's a pastor and mom works alongside him. We worked with the school community. We worked to bury Nancy and give her that respect in those coming weeks. And one of my jobs at the time was to speak at her funeral. And so at the time I wrote this short poem and I called it, Take Me Home. And it was an homage to Nancy's crossing into the U.S. So I continued to teach and I let that piece of paper sit out on my desk after I'd read it at her funeral. And a few months later, I thought, well, maybe something about this story could be helpful to people. And so I sent this little poem out on a whim to a bunch of publishers. And a couple months later, a publisher got back to me and they're like, hey, Andrea, like, we really like your poem, but we don't want you to write a poem. 
we want you to write a book and we're going to give you six months to do it. And if you come back with something that we like, we're going to take you on and publish. So I thought, well, I don't just want to tell her story. I want to tell all their stories because they're so different. And a lot of people make this assumption that English language learners are the same. And so what I decided to do was go back and interview 11 of those former kids who were in their late 20s, early 30s. I still call them kids, but I've had them forever. And I asked them a question I thought we had missed. I said, you know, as a school entity, we did a great job helping you navigate your challenges, coming up with solutions, helping you become bilingual, preparing you for the world. But now that you're a young bilingual professional out living and working in the world, and you can reflect upon your school experience, what was it really like for you? And so from six months of conversations and recordings and tweaking, et cetera, we created Take Me Home. So each chapter is told through their eyes. Their names were changed to names of strength, like Surge and Charge and Volt and et cetera. And I was able to go back and interview Nancy's parents, and they were able to give her perspective on coming into the U.S. It's written in English, and then it repeats in Spanish, all within the same book to give people a glimpse of what it may be like to try to read something in a different language and also so Nancy's parents could read about their daughter. So we're really proud of it. It's changing perspectives around the country. It's in inciting great conversation and reflection. We've had emails from teachers that have read it, le leaders that have read it, high school and middle school EL students have read it. I just learned recently 100 seniors at a high school are reading it. So it's really starting to change perspective in a positive way. Well, I'm sorry for asking him, Nancy. It's just a fabulous idea to take her story and change that perception and you know, have her parents be a part of that project. So power to you thinking of such a wonderful way to not only preserve her memory and her story, but then also use that to you know, make a difference in the world of education. So I want to talk about other areas and how you're affecting education because I know and I've seen on social media, I swear, Andrea, you are traveling like crazy and you have four different options for PD opportunities when you are working with school districts across this country. So would you mind just kind of sharing, you know, your passions and what those four options are? Yes. Yeah, so it kind of all happened organically as the book came out into the world and districts started to read it, use it for PLCs and teachers and kids, et cetera. Districts started to call me and say, hey, will you come talk to our teachers? And I said, well, sure. And so what I developed was a presentation. Uh, the first one is more of a keynote style, and it's called Take Me Home, Unmasking the Fear of Communicating with EL Students and Families. And that has been well-received. It's inspiring. It's motivational. People tend to laugh, cry, and walk away with a lot of great tools and feel uh, an understanding of, of who our ELs are across the country and why we matter for them. And so that's been really well-received. Uh, then schools started to say, well, hey, we want you to come back. Can you start to work with our teachers on accommodation? And I said, well, sure. And so I created a second presentation called Accommodate English Language Learners or Accommodation Station. And that's a second option on the website where now we get into the how. We know why we're doing it, but how do we do it? So that's where I start to teach them how to accommodate K-12, to reading, writing, listening, and speaking within the classrooms. And it's something very natural for me to help teachers do because I'm still teaching every day in my district. So I do it every day. Um, so it's very easy for me to, to go out and do that. The third presentation was geared towards kids. So the bilingual students are reading our book. You know, non-bilingual students are reading our book. 
And so we created a presentation for ELs across the country in the middle and high school level called Being, Being Bilingual is a Gift. And so we have our alumni join us sometimes for that. We do it via Zoom. We do it in person. And we put a fun presentation and activity-based um, activities for those kids to understand why their bilingualism is truly a gift for them. And then the last presentation was an unexpected need, but made sense when it was asked for, which is from nav registration to navigation. So all those frontline people that really work with our EL families, sometimes more than the teachers, the front office, the registration, the social workers, the guidance counselors, the school leaders and administrators who have to call home, they're feeling unequipped. How do I effectively and confidently communicate with somebody shows up to the window in the morning, right? What do I ask when they register and can't fill out documents? And so I started to create a presentation and have gone out and met with paraprofessionals and support teams and front office teams about how to communicate with confidence with their families and students as well. So it's kind of a, a one-stop shop. We're, we're trying to help everybody across the district. I love it. For aspiring and current leaders, if there's one thing that they can do tomorrow or next week to enhance their leadership journey, and maybe it's with ELL learners, uh, what would you advise them to do? You know, I've been working in this field alongside many of you for 24 years, and I've worked with some of the most at-risk kids in the building. But it doesn't matter if your student is labeled as ELL, Title I, Spec Ed, Regular Ed, Gifted, it doesn't matter. What I've noticed the most is that all students and families, and your colleagues too, by the way, are looking for the same three things. They're looking to feel respected, they're looking to feel accepted, and they're looking to feel admired. And if you can promote and connect with people in that way, 75% of the time, and not just on their good days, but on their challenging days too, what I found as a support teacher is that they will work for you. They will work with you and they will look forward to working with you again the next time. So keep that in mind when you're working in your district and serving every day. Those are wonderful keys. And Andrea, I want my listeners to connect with you as soon as possible. I know this is a need across the country. Like you said, uh, with those statistics, that's just crazy. I mean, that's going to be a much higher percentage than where we're at right now. And I know this is a topic that a lot of folks need support in. So how can they reach you either via social media or your website? So on social media, you can find me on LinkedIn or on Twitter. I guess it's called X now um, at Bittner Andrea or at Andrea Bittner. And I do have a website. It's andreabittnerbooks.com. You can learn more about our journey there and you can fill out the get in touch form and connect with me directly. Yes, please connect with Andrea. Andrea is a delight. Every time I talk to her, I, I feel like I've gained knowledge and wisdom in some way. And Andrea, I just thank you so much for being on this podcast to share about such an important topic. And I just love that you're supporting so many people across this country. And I know you're making a difference in the lives of our students through just all of your work. So thank you so much for being a wonderful guest on Aspire to Lead. Thank you so much for having me. It's been awesome to chat.